An RSVP. Do you know what that stands for? Anybody up on their French? Yeah, there you go. You got it. You said it better than I could. Respondez, s'il vous plaît. Right? Uh, it would be please respond. Um, these, I, I found these responses that people have put on wedding invitations. These are ones that I found on the internet that I know that Holly would not have allowed me to put on ours. Um, of course, this one could not have been put on ours because it didn't even exist back then, but this would be the Facebook event RSVP translator, and there's a guide, and it says yes equals maybe, maybe equals no, and no equals do I know you. <laughs> that was good. Um, but here's some other funny RSVPs, because uh, obviously that one wasn't. Um, <clears throat> we'll, we'll be there with bells on. There's one option. Uh, we'll be there free of bells. Uh, we'll be there undecided on the bells. Uh, we'll not be there heard there will be people wearing bells. Um, and we'll not be there regardless of the bell controversy. So there are people being cute there. And then this one, I really like this one. This one is you could check off uh, gladly attend, uh, regretfully decline, uh, regretfully attend. <laughs> that just sets the stage right there. Enthusiastically decline. Will decline to respond, but ultimately attend. Or I think you're just trying to get a gift out of me. So there you go. Those are those are some great uh, RSVPs there that you could use if you would like to. Or uh, you could turn into Mark uh, chapter 12 um, because we are closing out uh, these verses, and um, we're going to be looking at some responses that people gave uh, to God. But uh, before we get there, we find Jesus turning the tables on this crowd of Jewish leaders by asking them a question. He kicks off by asking them, you know, he's been kind of in the responding category himself. I mean, he's been responding to question after question after question, every once in a while answering their question with a question. But this time he turns the tables and he actually asks the question first. Verse 35. So Jesus asked this question as he taught in the temple complex. How can the scribes say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself says by the Holy Spirit, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can the Messiah be his son? And the large crowd was listening to him with delight. So here's what happens, right? Jesus takes them back to Again, the most referred to and alluded to Old Testament passage that we find in the New Testament. It's Psalm 110. And uh, they, they actually believe, right, that the Messiah would be coming from his lineage, from, from the line of David. But in placing the question the way that Jesus did, he forced the crowd, and really he forces us to see the Messiah as not just this powerful ruling dude that's going to free them from Roman whatever occupation. No, no, no. This is also going to be God. And in this passage, Jesus defines the recipient really of our response. He defines himself. He is not just the son of David, referring obviously to this link, this Old Testament prophetical link, but he's also not just the son of of man, which is described, he's described multiple times in Mark. And the reason why he's described as that is because Mark is trying to get the message out to everybody. Jesus is more, is not just for the Jews. He's also for the Gentiles. He is not just son of David. He is also son of man. 
But linking him to this prophecy in this way, he links himself rather indirectly and directly at the same time to the fact that he's also the son of God, that he is divine, that he has been here from day one. No, that he has been here before day one. He is the one receiving our response. Ultimately, the RSVP that we return that means the most in our lifetime is the one that goes to him. And it's an RSVP that begins with our answer to the very basic question. The question that the kids over here have responded to already. And that is the question of would, would you receive this free gift of salvation? And it continues with our continual answer to his invitation to surrender all that we are every single day. Jesus took a moment to really elevate the concept of Messiah in their eyes. And I guess the question that we have as we kind of kick this off this evening is, does this moment need to be a moment for us as well where our understanding of the Messiah is elevated? That he deserves, or I guess you could say he demands more from us. Maybe that he has the ability to do more in us. Uh, that my life's alignment to his heart and his plans uh, should matter more to me than it really does. I think my concept of the Messiah at times is really just way too small. I don't know about you. Um, I think it's easy for us not to see. It's easy for me not to see the real Jesus. That's been the whole series focus for us, the real Jesus, right? It's still on the front of your worship folder tonight. I think it's sometimes it's difficult for us to see the real Jesus as the angry Jesus, the one who just really gets angry when dealing with sin when dealing with sin that is so very damaging to those in our society that are the least of these. I think our thoughts about sin probably don't think like his enough. I think maybe the real Jesus is difficult for me to understand sometime in his forgiveness. Because what do I want to do? I want to beat myself up over and over again on the fact that I got angry or I got impatient or I got whatever and you know I asked for forgiveness and it's supposed to be over right and it's still going on in my mind and it's and it's there and it's like and, and Jesus is like but I am the forgiving Jesus and I think we get any one of us put in the blank what what is that that we don't see Jesus as enough where is our concept of the Messiah lacking it's not just the Jews that had a lacking Messiah think we do the recipient of our response jesus king of kings lord of lords ruler master worthy holy forgiving just merciful hopefully that moves into a sharper focus for us as we continue on verse 38 he also said in his teaching beware of the scribes who want to go around in long robes and who want greetings in the marketplaces the front seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets they devour widows' houses and say long prayers just for show. These will receive harsher punishment. This is a potentially confusing passage because we see this uh, devouring widows' houses. And I mean, what is all that? I mean, I mean, Jesus is obviously indicting the Pharisees on something. But what does all this mean? We, gotta, we need some backup here. We need a little bit of background information, right? Well, to sum it up, their response to God was really fueled by pride. 
they were proud. It was a response of pride. They liked being noticed by the crowd. They liked being greeted in the marketplace. And it wasn't just being greeted in the marketplace by, hey, Joe, how you doing, Mr. Pharisee, dude? No, no, no. It was like reverent greetings is what they lived for because they wanted people to understand their place in society. They wanted the formalized greetings that made people stop and say, whoa, wait a minute, there is a Pharisee in my midst. They like being seated in the front. I was talking with one of uh, one of our church members this past week. He was uh, on a trip in New York and he was talking about how he had gone into this church and went to go sit in this one particular section and they kept him from doing it because there was a particular section of this church in New York that they reserved for anybody that was of uh, society's elite, politicians, uh, actors, actresses, anybody who might show up in those categories, that's where they sat and he wasn't allowed to sit there. Well, can I just tell you that there was this book of scrolls that was sitting on this chest right here at the temple and they sat in front of it in chairs and you best not go sit in one of those chairs. That was their seat. And it wasn't just there so that they could quickly get to the scrolls. It was there because they wanted it there because they wanted people to see them. And I have to wonder if Jesus wasn't maybe just just maybe thinking about James and John when he's talking about this. Because you remember just just a few chapters back in chapter 10, they get rebuked for it. Right. Because they're wanting to sit where on his left and his right. And Jesus is like, whoa, wait a minute. You don't you don't have a clue what it is that you're asking. Look at verse 40 again. It says they devour Widows' houses and say long prayers just for show. What did that mean? You see, it wasn't just about that they had made their religion all about them. They were also so propelled by their pride that they ended up willing to step on anyone and everyone that was in their way of getting what they felt like they deserved. And so, how were Pharisees paid or taken care of back in the day? Well, it wasn't like they were on the payroll of the temple. No, as a matter of fact, Pharisees either had a job, it was a side job or, or another type of job, that, a trade that they worked, or they, they really existed on the gifts of those that were coming to the temple that were given. And so they were, they, they, they were, their sustenance came, their existence came financially from people that were just on the side saying, here, how about this? And so here's what would happen. They would start to, as history shows itself, really ingratiate themselves toward widows. Not just so that they could minister to them, but so that they would be so nice to the widow that she would basically word over, deed over her property to them in the end. See, it wasn't really about. And then they started saying real long prayers about and for and to the widows. And these long prayers are mentioned. So they're they're going long and on all these prayers. You know, it's really just a cover up. It's just a sham because what they really want. Is the money. And it's hard to know people's thoughts and motives, right? I mean, it's hard to know the motive of somebody that, you know, you live with or that or even ourselves. I mean, how do we even know unless unless. Your God. And Jesus just happened to be on the scene. And he understood their motives. And he calls them on it. 
our family is all about Toby Mac's latest CD. I don't know if you have it or not. Um, we listen to it all the time in the car. My three-year-old loves to sing the song, Me Without You. He loves that song. And uh, he sings it really well. He, he sings... Um, he goes, he sings it, and it's very clear for most of the time. Um, but, and, and you know what? You're, you're going to laugh at this, but we've all been there because I remember, I go back in my mind to the 1980s, thinking that I was singing certain lyrics to songs and then discover much later on that it wasn't at all what I was singing. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And so, and so here, and so here's, here's his version of the, he, he goes, I be packing my bags when I need to stay. I be chasing every dream that goes my way. I be building my kingdom just to watch it fade away. It's so true. I feify you. I feify you. And we just, we just got to laugh. And you can't laugh really in his presence because then you get self-conscious and he won't do it again. And then that's, you know, then you've ruined the party trick. But it's like, I mean, it, so so we kind of it, conspicuously get in to sing the song every once in a while, just so we can go, "That is so cute, a fi you," you know. And so, and it's cool because our kids are now singing a fi you, and nobody knows what that means, but Levi does, right? Now, it's cool, it's funny when you're three and you're sincerely wrong, right? When you're 33, when you're 50, when you're adult and you're sincerely wrong. Well, you know, interesting. As we look at Proverbs chapter 16, it says these words, all a man's ways seem right to him. You know, oh, wow, I, was, I thought this was right. I was so sincere. I tried so hard to get that right. But the Lord evaluates the motives. We allow ourselves to be fooled and the lyrics of our lives play a tune that isn't to the Messiah. As a matter of fact, the lyrics of our lives wind up playing a tune to me. What I want, what I think, what I need, what I deserve, what I've worked for, what it only makes sense for me to keep, what I do, that I require. And I think what happens, quite honestly, is it would not surprise me at all if it just kind of exhausts God a little bit when he looks at 21st century Americanized Christianity. I think he just kind of looks and goes, wow, they are really high maintenance. (laughs) But Toby's right, because that is what my life looks like without him. It's building my kingdom just so that one day it would fade away. Verse 5 in Proverbs, everyone with a proud heart is detestable to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly of spirit with the humble than to divide plunder with the proud. These Pharisees with this unhealthy love of self, this this pride, this, uh, wow, you deserve me <laughs> mentality. I'm so glad you have me. Isn't God lucky to have me on his team? In the 1990s vernacular, it would be, wow, I am all that and a bag of chips. Okay, that wasn't fun either. Um, But, you know, for those of you who might be unaware as to how this church operates, you know, we've got the paid staff, but then we also have an elder board. And the elder board meets every week. And they the best way for me to describe the elder board is just that they are, uh, when when I take my kids to the bowling alley, and uh, and the, the, the older ones now want to bowl unrestricted just right down, but the younger ones, we put up what? The... The bumper guard, right? Yeah. And so put it there so that we don't wind up in the gutter time and time and time again. They can actually knock down the pins, right? And so um, 
what, what, what I see our elder board is really acting like the bumper guard for our church in some really cool ways, right? Because they're, they're there in the lanes and it's like they're, they're looking at the mission and the vision of the church and it's like to receive, equip, impact sin. And we just keep talking about those words and keep talking about those words. We want those words to be more than just something verbal, but really it matters. Those words matter to us as a church. Right. That we are to be those things. And so they're looking big picture. They're looking down and they're going, OK, you know what? Wow, that's going to go in the gutter. We're not going to be striking pins down of receive, equip, impact, sin. If we do, if we go that route, if we do that. And, you know, the minutiae of ministry, you know, but what they let the pastors, the ministers, just the, the graded division director, they, they jump in and they do all that. And, and the elders just let us fly. I mean, we just are off and running. And it's so much fun. And they make serving on this staff such a joy. And I would say that it's 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 better than than I've ever seen it. It really is. And and one of my favorite things about our elders, and this is not an elder commercial, but you just need to know this because they would never tell you this, is that they also work tirelessly behind the scenes. I mean, they roll up their sleeves and they are involved in so much, and they really would would rather you never know it, never. They are behind the scenes so much that it just cracked me up when we were doing the campaign. A while back, right? And they had to stand up here because our church never votes on hardly anything at all. But what we would vote on is to borrow money for a construction loan to make that happen over there, right? And so they're standing up here and I just loved it because they look so uncomfortable up here. If you were, if you were here a year ago watching that happen, they, those men look so uncomfortable and I loved it because they are not men who want to be in the spotlight. And they are also not men who are like the Wizard of Oz behind the scenes going, woohoo, let me do all these switches and make all this happen. No, no, no. You know what? They are the bumper guards who are, who understand with great, uh, sincerity and great vision and great, uh, uh, seriousness that there is a job to be done to keep us moving in a direction that honors the Lord. And from a pastor's perspective, lay elders like that make it a real joy to serve. Because they're not interested in being seen and known and praised, but to serve. And unfortunately, the religious leaders of that day lived out a response that was fueled by just the opposite. A response that was fueled by pride. And before we shake our heads at them and think how sad it was they acted that way, the question is, what about us? What about our motives? Why do we do what we do, even in church? Because it's expected? Because we'll be in trouble at home with our spouse if we don't? Because it's just good for our kids to see us in that light. Because we get a tax write-off for it. There are so many reasons why we may do what we do. Even for God and even in His name. Or maybe our pride has impacted us by what we haven't done. Oh, I'd never do that. I'd never go there. I'd never serve with those people. I would never give that up. I, I, I could never forgive her. I, I, I would never invite him. And so the question for tonight maybe is just, how has my pride impacted my response to him? Or has it? And if it has, how? All right, so here's the, the last part of the story. Mark 12. 41. Sitting across from the temple treasury, he watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums, and a poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins worthy, worth very little. Summoning his disciples, he said to them, I assure you, this poor widow has put in more than all those giving to the temple treasury. For they all gave out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she possessed. 
all she had to live on. Her response would really be characterized as one done in humility. I mean, she's putting in two lepta. You know what a lepta is? It is one sixty-fourth of a denarii, of a denarius. So we're talking about one sixty-fourth of a day's wages. She put in two of those. So basically what she had left to her name was one thirty-second of a day's wage. And she dropped it in. She didn't have to. As a matter of fact, widows were not required to do that. As a matter of fact, a portion of the monies collected should have been going to help take care of people like her. But she gave all that she had. Trumpeted receptacles, 13 of them, were set along the temple there inside of, uh, of the court of women. That's where the temple treasury was kept. And, and crazy enough, how ironic, the smallest amount that you could actually give. They actually had a smallest amount that you could give. It would be like coming in here and us saying, you know, it's great for you to give a tithe, but by the way, you got to start at 100 bucks. <laughs> they started at 132nd, two lepta. And, and, and just crazy enough, that's all that she had. And so she gave every bit of she had, which was the minimum. And it was sacrificial. And it was an unheralded moment. But in that moment, that humble widow becomes exalted by our Savior. At this moment, Jesus' public ministry comes to an end. Passion Week is about to start. Public ministry stops, and it stops for him with this picture. And the cross is closer than ever before. And Jesus is now giving us this picture of sacrificially giving it all. Which, crazy enough, is also what he's about to do. It's the response of the humble. And how closely does this resemble our Savior? Matter of fact, look up at the screen. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he was rich for your sake. He became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. You say, well, how did he, how did he become poor? Well... Jesus had everything. He had everything and left it all to be a poor baby in a manger in Bethlehem and eventually nailed to a cross naked with nothing to his name, experiencing complete and utter rejection from his friends and even from his father. So the discussion comes back around to Jesus. We started off with him. We're actually ending with him. All right, let's finish up by looking at Psalm 110. Because in Psalm 110, if we finish it up, it really gives us a really good, crystal clear focus of who our response is supposed to be to. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, rule over your surrounding enemies. Your people will volunteer on your day of battle and holy splendor from the womb of the dawn. The dew of your youth belongs to you. The Lord has sworn an oath and will not take it back forever. You are a priest like Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his anger. He will judge the nations leaping up. Corpuses, he will crush leaders over the entire world. He will drink from the brook by the road. Therefore, he will lift up his head. This is a prophetic passage speaking about Jesus Christ. And it mentions him in the same vein as Melchizedek, who was seen 
in very high regard by the Jewish people. As a matter of fact, he was a high priest that they saw as higher than even Abraham. The father of the people. Why? Because Abraham wins a battle and he comes over and he tithes a portion of what had been won in the battle to Melchizedek. And the Jews looked at that and said, whoa, wait a minute. He's he's giving a tithe to Melchizedek. That must mean that this high priest is regarded by God as greater than even Abraham. So it set Melchizedek as the highest high priest anybody had ever seen. And this passage comes in and says, he has sworn an oath and will not take it back forever. You are a priest like Melchizedek. Okay, but wait, the writer of Hebrews takes it a step farther. Here we go. This gets fun. Hebrews chapter 7. And this becomes clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, which he did, who is Jesus, who did not become a priest based on legal command concerning physical descent, but based on the power of what? Of an indestructible life. So Jesus shows up on the scene as the ultimate high priest and he dies, which we are in the midst of focusing our attention on in this season of Lent. And he dies and he resurrects. And this, I love this verse. Matter of fact, this particular description of Jesus is one of my very favorites in the Bible because it says what? He is one, the one that has the indestructible life. He is the ultimate superhero, right? Who is he talking about here? The writer is talking about Jesus and Jesus surpasses Melchizedek because he proves to be the one high priest who is indestructible. Verse 17, for it has been testified, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, but because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is always able to save those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. For this is the kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do, first of their own sins, then for those of the people. He did this once for all when he offered himself. Who is it that we are responding to tonight? It is this Jesus. And he is the one who should fuel my worship and my service and my fellowship and it is out of that overwhelmed, grateful heart for our Savior that our response should occur. The holy, innocent, exalted, above the heavens, Son of God. We pray with me? God, we have uh, walked through this passage and, um, and looked at you, the one that we are to respond to, and that that really should fuel the response from us. That you are the one. That you are the one worthy of all of our praise. That you are the one worthy of our lives. That you are worthy. And God, deep down into this passage, we found that it takes us all the way back to this prophecy in Psalm 110. God, thank you for connecting the Testaments together like that. Thank you for proving once again who you are. By pointing to yourself way back in history. God, thank you so much for a clear picture tonight of Jesus, the Messiah, our Master and Savior. And God, thank you for reminding us where we have allowed our pride to seep in and impact our motives and our choices maybe our lack of momentum in certain areas. And God, thank you also for reminding us of what it is 
that you honor. That it's a heart that's open to you. That says, take whatever you want. Do whatever you want to. That God, I am all yours. So in the quietness, the question is, what's the response? Because we didn't show up here by accident. You're actually here because God wanted to speak something into your life. And when he speaks, when he speaks, there is a response that is called for. So what is it? What do you hear him saying tonight? Philip and Jennifer Crossland responded when they heard God speaking. They listened. And uh, we've, got, we've got Reed over here and uh, Reed Jenkins, who was born last March, March 29th, right, of uh, 11, yeah, 2011. All right, very good. And uh, it looks to me like we've got a very proud brother in Luke. How you doing, sir? And uh, what we want to do is we want to pray for your family, pray for you guys. Because in your response to God, what you're saying to Him, what I understand you saying is we, we don't want to take this lightly. We recognize that we've got a calling as parents to bring Him up in the Lord. And so I think what we've got here is a community of believers who would love to stand with you in that. And to say that we want to support you in prayer. We want to be encouraging to you. Uh, we want to provide everything that we possibly can here to help you in that uh, endeavor. And uh, I just wanted to pray over you guys. And uh, matter of fact, as just an encouragement, they've been sitting for a while, so I'm just going to invite you guys, if you would just stand in agreement with me. And we're going to pray for the Crossland family at this time. Father, I want to thank you so much for what you've done in this precious family. For their boys, Reed and Luke. God, I, I pray that what would occur would be there would be untold blessings that would occur all around in many, many lives because of the lives that are impacted by Reed's life. And God, that he would make great impact because his heart is impacted by you. So God, I, I want to thank you right now for the heart of his parents, the desire that they have to bring him here and just to let you know that Reed is yours and that they are willing. They are willing to be who you've called them to be as his parents and bringing him up in a love. God, that ultimately his life would look like your son Jesus in Luke 2.52 where it says that he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. God, in all areas, he would grow. That he would grow to love you most of all. Father, finally, as a church, we just stand right now in agreement saying, it is with great joy and great honor that we stand ready to partner with the Crossland family as their boys fall deeper and deeper in love with you. Thank you, God, for the support of their friends and family here tonight. God, may this be a sweet time of remembrance as they go back to this date, knowing all that you have done 
as you've cemented their calling at this time. In Jesus' name.